This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Head of Academy Performance for Castleford Tigers, Darren Higgins. He discusses the challenges in recruitment along the M62 corridor, how being a late specialisation sport affects the academy setup, and the use of a collaborative working environment to improve the players holistically. I hope you enjoy. Darren, first of all, how are things? Uh, things are good, thank you, Michael. Um, our under-19s and under-16 squads are able to start training next week, all being well, and that's the first time since March we've literally not been at the club um, and got a lot of players obviously affected what's been going on. So, yeah, everyone's really excited, looking forward to that, and um, all consider we, the year it's been, and, yeah, pretty good, thank you. I guess obviously that's pretty challenging for kind of yourself and your team and the players not being on the grass. How um, how have you managed to engage with them? I guess mainly on the human level uh, during this time. Probably the same as, as most academies, teams, squads in in different sports, and um, I, I just think Zoom has been absolutely massive um, for keeping people together, WhatsApp groups, and. We, we, we were joking earlier this week, if it wasn't for Zoom and, and WhatsApp groups, and, and this happened 20, 30 years ago, it'd be really interesting to see how, how we'd would have handled it. But yeah, ju- just a wide range of things, I suppose, depending on age groups. So with our scholarship players, which are our under 15s and 16s, um, a wide range of tasks. So they've been doing speaking challenges, uh, cooking tasks, um, in fact, when, when we go back to lockdown, there were a lot of speaking challenges just around, we just use it as an opportunity to reinforce our club values, reinforce self-reflection, uh, practices at media interviews where a parent would, would have a script of questions and, and ask the, the lads, you know, their background, their, their aspirations, that kind of thing. Um, home programmes, um, quiz nights, Checking in with the player as an individual, how are you doing, how's things at home, everyone okay? Um, instances where some people have been struggling and, and liaising with our, our welfare support. Um, and a chance to do player reviews as well, a lot of player reviews, um, goal setting kind of tasks. And so that's been for our 15s and 16s. The Our under-19s academy um, in rugby league terms that's been similar. Um, we, we probably realised with them we, we needed to back off certain things because it was becoming a little repetitive and they were getting a little bit fed up of it. And then we gave them a month off, I think in July. And, and we've had the added challenge of, in our game, that we've, we've seen the reintroduction of reserves rugby this year, um, which has been missing for the last five or six years. So that started and it, it was the first competition to be confirmed as being cancelled for the year. Um, whenever that was, probably May going into June, something like that. So them lads had that first blow. And then not long after that, it was confirmed that there'd be no reserves for 2021. So that were a real, that were really difficult for them, uh, managing them and, and kind of keeping them, looking, just looking out for them, I suppose, more than anything. And, and what we've done in, in a lot of instances, we've, we've managed to get these lads fixed up with, with championship clubs and, and League One clubs. So... 
yeah, it's different for different age groups and, and programs, and, and every individual is different. But um, it's been okay, all considered. And I hear things on on um, podcasts and see things on Twitter, and I think most environments are doing the same kind of stuff. And it was less about um, the rugby side of things and more about making sure the people, the person's okay. And, and developing the person as well, and, and that in turn will, will benefit the rugby long term anyway. And I imagine you, you probably saw some quite good um, benefits, but also some quite interesting insights that you, from people you wouldn't necessarily have thought. Yeah, we, we've spoke about that as staff members. We've we've got we've got to know people in ways that we wouldn't normally. Um, our setup um, in in our context is. We, we only get the lads two sessions a week under 15s and 16s and and we're, we're, we're different to for example football in that we we use school facilities and that'll be a booking of your, you know you start at seven and you finish at eight and then there's someone coming on straight after you so you don't get that natural time to yeah just just to get to know the person and and and, and speak to them on a, on a human level so yeah it, it We've, I'd like to think we've turned it into a real positive and, and we've got to know the lads in, in ways that we wouldn't normally and they've got to know us and it, it, I think it's created opportunities to develop some some leadership, to improve some communication skills and, and improve some self-awareness and, and, and goal setting and, and that just an opportunity to take a step back and reflect and, and, and think longer term and um, get, I suppose, get the hunger back in, in lads as well, you know, they're constantly training, they're constantly playing, and I think what we've seen from them, the lads, is they've realised how much they love it, how much they've missed it, and um, they're raring to go again, as are we of staff, really. Is there any particular method you use to increase their kind of self-awareness or the communication or leadership skills? There is. Um, yeah, the, the way we, we, we coach and the way we deliver, um, we're very much um, involve the players in that process. So we use lots of questioning. We use opportunities for a bit of reflection, for example, within a session, after a session, and then linking that in with some, some goal setting. So doing that on a session-by-session, week-by-week basis. Play reviews um, and, and opportunities to to engage with a, a mental skills coach or a sports psychology and, and every player is different. So some will engage with that process more than others. Some will, will not quite understand why they're doing it. Um, some are very self-aware anyway. So everyone's different and it's supporting their needs. And I suppose just off, just just being facilitators more often than not, whether that's formally in reviews or, or off on the field, it's um, it's providing opportunities for that. And and go, going back to coaching style is, right, here's a scenario. Um, you guys have got a minute as a team. You need to work out what you're going to do, put it into practice. And we as, as staff are going to take a step back. And we're going to, okay, stop, opportunity to get back together again, work out what's working well, what you need to change. And yeah, I don't. I don't think leaders and, and awareness will, will emerge unless it's given the opportunity, and, and that's that's a real big one. What what we're about and, and changing our, our style to 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 meet the demands of of, of the player or, or or what we want them to be longer term. 
So I'm, I'm going to link back round to this because I think it comes probably into your club values in terms of the and methodology in terms of the way you engage and try and produce leaders. And um, before we go any further, it's probably to just clarify what your actual role is and the club that you're with and all that type of stuff. Um, yeah. So could you do that? That'd be great. Of course, no problem. Um, my role is the head of youth performance. So in similar to, I suppose, an academy manager or academy director in, in football terms, but without our, our academy or youth operation is probably much smaller scale compared to, to football. So the main strands of the role um, are to manage, to coordinate and support all aspects of our, our youth development provision. So that would be talent identification and recruitment, um, staffing structures, making sure we've got everything we, we need for our, our young players. So good coaching, athletic development, uh, welfare, nutrition, mental skills, um, education and careers, analysis, everything the player needs to make them the best they can possibly be, um, and making sure that's in place. Linking up with the wider club and particularly what happens at first team on the field. So what do we want a first team player to look like um, from a technical, tactical, physical and, and characteristic perspective? Um, and then we're working with a wide range of of partners and and people, I suppose. So that'd be people at a parent level, um, coaches from local community clubs, or it might be more formal partnerships. So we've got two partnerships with universities, um, Leeds Beckett University, who support us around um, sports psychology and diet and nutrition. And then Leeds Trinity University, um, that partnership's more around strength and conditioning. So it's a pretty wide ranging role. It's not a hands-on coaching role. Um, it, it's there to support the whole process and, and um, yeah, manage the, the big picture, if you like. And within that, is it your role to kind of um, sculpt uh, like academy values and the academy vision, et cetera? It, it is. And it, Again, that's not just me running my own race. That's linking in with what happens at first team level and the wider club. So um, the ethos of the club, the values of the club, um, and, and what I, I suppose it's connecting things together and then in creating the environment to um, produce um, players from a technical point of view, tactical, physical, and mental. So, yeah, it, it, it's linking in with, with the wider club and making sure our, our our ethos, our philosophies fit within the wider club. So what are they? If you know, if we were to come down and watch a game of it be at your first team or your younger levels, what would the characteristics and values that your players would exhibit? Um, there's, there's probably things I couldn't can share and, and, and some things that I'm not able to, to share, but um, generally I'd like to think if you if a, anyone walked into a, a training session and they'd see, first of all, good people, um, whether that be staff, players, um, and, and generally a good feel and, and welcoming environment. And um, when we're doing talent identification and recruitment, if, if we don't think the person's right, regardless how good a player they are, then they're not going to get through the door in the first place. So good people, um, hardworking. Um, we try to, to build a, a big theme of our, our uh, youth environment as resilience um, and educating people that 
it's this journey's not going to be straightforward from walking in the door and going and playing hopefully first team rugby there's going to be ups and downs along the way um and and players who, who are just mentally pretty robust um and they're able to handle that but they're also very self-aware um they they're aware of what they need to do what it takes what their strengths are what their weaknesses are and, and going back to that hard working ethos that they're willing to do something about it and, and they understand you know some natural talent at a young age is, is not going to get them to, to first team level so um and I, I don't think those those kind of characteristics are, are unique to our club or our sport. I think that's a that's a general in, in talent development. You you need them kind of ethoses to uh, to produce players and, and develop young people. And in terms of um, the age groups etc. that you're working with, how uh, low down age group wise do you go? And then I guess next question is off the back of that. How do you go about recruiting those individuals into your program? Um, so, so we start selecting or, or um, bringing players into the club on our under 15s and 16s, so year 10 and year 11 uh, scholarship program. That that's the first on the current player pathway for the game. That's the the first selection process at, at this moment in time. We do run. We start working with players at under 12s. Um, so we we at the club run a program called Tigers Talent Pathway, which is an open access program. Um, it runs from under 12s all the way to 16. So there's an opportunity for people, regardless of their experience, their current abilities, their background, and they may come from different sports. They can attend that program. Um, that's an opportunity for us to start looking at them, putting play development provision into them. Um, so that starts at 12s and 13s, that's like a, a joint age group. And then there's a separate programme for the under 14s and um, it's probably under 13s and, and under 14s, we, we start to look and talent ID with, with selection onto scholarship in mind. Um, but we, we continue to run the, the Tigers Talent Pathway programme at 15s and 16s, just, just mindful of we will miss people, people might not be shining at that moment in time, but we're a late specialisation sport, so just because someone's not quite ready at that moment in time doesn't mean that should be the end, end of their journey. So they'll continue to access um, player development provision and this pathways into the scholarship 15s and 16s. The next level above that is academy rugby. So the academy this year has been under 18s with reserves in from above that and bridging that gap from academy rugby to first team, which is a, is a, a fair jump. Um, because of costs um, and implications of, of COVID, there'll be no reserves rugby next season. So the academy programme will go to under 19s again. Um, but yeah, all in all, we, we start working at under 12s um, and under 19s is our is a last run on the ladder at the moment but um, as a game I think everyone's in agreement that reserves and that bridge from academy to, to first team is essential and without all that it, it's probably flawed for me so that's our pathway um, when we do talent ID I, I said earlier we're not just looking at, at good players and, and we're very mindful of um, things like relative age effect and an early specialisation based on the physical characteristics of the game and it's easy for a player if they've they're older within their age group 
they're physically more mature um, they're going to stand out and we've got we've got staff we've put a lot of education into around that and making them mindful of that um and yeah we, we've also got to consider backgrounds the level level of coaching they've received the level of the team that they're playing in um on a week-to-week -week basis what are the opposition like um is the things going on at home so it's probably a, a bit of a can of worms so we put 18 months work into looking at players and, and getting to know them um on talent id and in in the instances where players come and attend the ttp program the open access thing um we get to know them a lot more so going to watch on a sunday morning is probably a snapshot and then we get to know the person um, how willing to how dedicated they are how hard they work all, all those kind of things we get to get know the person a lot more as opposed to the traditional method of just watching on a on a sunday morning and, and getting a snapshot of a of a person stroke player i'm going to link back to the the under 19 um shift and reserve because i think i'll be interesting to see that kind of pathway that jumps across um but in regards to the challenges you face with um players that may be early specialized in other sports because obviously if you look at something like football for example where you know in their academies, academies they have kids in from under nines yeah um, that's quite a big disparity between where you could potentially see them or get them compared to where other sports who specialize early can get them or might get them do you see um any benefits or any challenges in that situation yeah I, I see benefits to it um but i also see th there's two ways to look at it so typically you know you, you might see a player at a young age and he was a standout player at a young age and, and he's the person who goes on and, and he goes on to make it and in many ways there's no real surprise and yet our current system we're not able to put meaningful or extra provision into him and support into him until he's 14 15. um so he's come through and he's a good player but how how much better could he have been if, if you got more into him at a younger age um but i, I see the flip side as well and um this our, our player pathway um it, it started previously with with under 12s selection and, and representation opportunities but there are a lot of research and, and it's backed by by evidence i suppose that lads who were getting selected at a young age um weren't unnecessarily the lads who were going on to make it and and they're all um first quartile players in, in many ways so physically they were they were more more mature more advanced so and then we, we've seen a lot of examples of lads who weren't selected going back 10 years at under 12s under 13s under 14s and they they're the ones who have gone on to make it and the argument is they they're the ones who had it tough they they developed resilience they had to develop a better skill set that they needed to become tactically more aware etc rather than just rely on on the physical um nature of the game so the, the, there's two ways there's two ways to look at it i, I personally would be in favor of starting working with with players on a scholarship program at a younger age but at the same time if a club wanted to offer that that provision then that'd be on the basis that they ha also have to work with a to run open access programs as well for players who weren't necessarily selected but 
they were still getting ongoing provision and support. So um, I, I guess our challenge as a game is resources um, compared to, for example, football. Um, but yeah, it, it is a late specialisation sport. So we don't need to do, we don't need to work with, with players at, for example, under nines, under tens, things like that. But um, it'd be interesting in, in, in future years to see how, how the pathway changes, if it does change at all. And for you guys, obviously, um, up until that point, I imagine they're just playing kind of grassroots league in and around the area. Is yeah. that the case? It will, yeah, that would be the case. Um, in some instances, depending on the school, I mean, in our area in Castleford, we've got a local school. A, a rugby league is very much at the forefront of what they do from a, a sporting sense. Um, and, and the local games pretty strong no, but nothing like for example football and, and the amount of people what play football but yeah all, all our boys will play community rugby league and, and that's where they're identified and, and in some instances um, sport a rugby league at school and they will dip in and out of other sports as well. And then are there challenges um, between kind of crossover points between clubs because I mean you look at the Super League for example majority of the teams are northern based um you've got obviously like Leeds, Castleford, you know uh, St Helens, Wigan and stuff all in that northern region does it become a challenge where you end up competing for players at ages uh like under 13s and 14s? It really does yeah um, it, it's the M62 corridor, as it's often called. Um, and yeah, typically, if, if we're if you go to a, a an under 14 game in a Castleford area, you'll get scouts from from Wakefield, from Bradford, from Huddersfield, from Leeds, and then the, the clubs in um, in the northwest are also at times seen. So Warrington, St Helens, um, and, and I think the reason for that is is just like many sports, is participation's falling. So there's not as many people playing the game. So that puts some pressure on on clubs to you know identify and, and recruit those um, the best young talent or the best perceived young talent. Um, we we've run we've run programs in the past. So I talked about our Tigers Talent Pathway program, which is an open access program. Um, we're, we're looking at ways and we can access other talent pools so we've got an example of a lad who, who's attended that program he's come from um, the midlands kind of area he, a rugby, rugby union background he was on leicester tigers books or one of their hubs um he'd not played rugby league until he attended our program um we actually took a bit of we thought it was a gamble on him and we signed him on on scholarship um so he went through our under 15s program that year he, he played for England um, and then he's, he's gone on now and he's played he's played Super League at 17, 18 years of age and three, four years prior to that, he'd not even played the game at all. Um, so we we feel, and, and again, resources is a, is a challenge, but we feel there's hundreds and maybe thousands of lads like that across the country, but they just don't get the opportunity to play the game because traditionally the game's not strong in the area. Um, so there's a couple of projects we've got in the background what we're hoping to bring to life in the next 12 to 24 months where um, we'll provide more opportunities um, for non-rugby league players in, in non-traditional areas um, 
and, and look to that that talent transfer aspect, I suppose. But yeah, going back to your, your question, it's a real challenge. There's not enough there's not enough players playing the game. Um, and I think that's across a lot of sports and that puts a lot of pressure on on that identification and recruitment process. And is there is there a particular way that you kind of sell your club, if you like? Is there a particular way that you say if you come into this environment, this is the type of player you could potentially become or type of person you could potentially become? Yeah, it really is. And, and we're not a club who are blessed with facilities or resources. So um, we talk, well, first of all, the first thing we'll, we'll say to a, a player and his parents or guardian is that they're not promised a single thing. So if they, they chose to... Uh, join our club we wouldn't promise them they'd gain a contract after two years time they'd play Super League and we, we basically promise nothing to anyone individually we talk about this is our environment and you get these things as a bare minimum but the rest is over to you so if you want to gain do extra work from with the coaches or get extra nutrition athletic development we will 100% support that and, and give you every everything you ask for but um, our ethos it's, a, it's about the individual um, so if they join a programme we'll play we'll play games at under 15s and 16s level but we're not really interested in so things like pre-season season those words are banned because we're not about that we're not about producing a team to win some games at 15s and 16s level because it's not important it doesn't really matter but those games are a part of a wider play development programme um, so yeah very much it's about the individual and, and improving them as individual players rather than we'll we'll get the best lads we can together to, to create a team who are going to win some games so that's our that's our approach i think we're very personal um it's not a case of and yeah i, th I think we're very personal i think it's and it sounds a bit cheesy but it's a real family club the whole place is really connected together so and probably just because of circumstances, we don't have much in terms of facilities. So often we talk about a player will, will train on a, on a, for example, a Saturday morning. That might be an under-15s player um, and he'll be in our gym or, or walking around the facilities and he'll be interacting and mixing with, with first-team players who have played international rugby league. And, and that's probably, I'm guessing, something that doesn't happen in in other sports just because there's so much in terms of facilities there's so much in terms of resources so those kind of things bring everyone together um and it's really pleasing to see is is the made to feel welcome and the, the first team players show an interest in them and, and they actually get to know the names and you might walk into the physio room and there's literally an under 14 player on one bed and then new zealand international on the other which is it's, it's a bit bizarre really but yeah there are kind of there are strands what we're about we're, we're not about promising people anything um, they've got to come in and earn that right we will we provide everything they need in terms of coaching analysis nutrition snc sports psychology welfare everything they need they get as much as as first team players in many ways but apart from that we, we it's over to them. It's what you're going to do with this opportunity. Um, and, and it goes back to, we've got to recruit the right characters. We've got to, we've got to recruit people or players who understand 
you know, this is the first step on the ladder. There's a lot of hard work. Um, there's going to be ups and downs. And, and also educating parents around that as well. Um, in many instances, the lads have come and they've been the, the better players and it's been pretty straightforward. But reality, it's not going to be like that. So giving them everything they need, educating them, um, giving them a wide range of provision. Um, they're, they're important strands. And I think if you get that right and you get the person right and you've got a chance, but, you know, law of averages says it, it doesn't work out for everybody. And um, we've just actually, sorry. No, no go on, Karen. We, we've just actually lost a player. Um, he, he's gone to Australia. He, they've just, they paid a transfer fee for him. He's only just turned 18 years of age and he walked through the door Um like many, you know, he's identified as having potential and talented and, and then there's been instances of lads at his age group who, who were no longer at the club for whatever reason. And the different, he got the same opportunities, he got the same provision, but the difference is, is, is how how focused he was, how much he's, he were willing to work hard and, and absolutely almost obsessed with with what he wanted to do and, and what understanding what he needed to do. So, um, and, and I guess it's a life lesson that, um, you know, the old saying, you, you'll get out what you put into it. Um, and he, he's, although we're disappointed to lose him, um, we're also really, really proud. He's, he's found his way into the, I believe, the, the, the 35-man squad for the Newcastle Knights NRL um, squad in Australia um, at 17, 18 years of age. And, you know, I joked to him last week, it, it were only three, four years ago, you were playing under-14s rugby. On a, on a public park and now you, you, you're going to be in that and it, it, that's just as I say just through absolute dedication focus hard work um, and he, he's a, a shining kind of example of what you can become if you're willing to work hard I guess a question for me how much does the first team um, sculpt of what you recruit lower down so if they're playing a particular brand of rugby league does that affect what you have to do lower down to try and help them, like the players, be able to achieve that pathway through to the first team? Yeah, we, we, we've got to recruit and, and nurture players with, with with that end end goal in mind, I suppose, of what a, a Castleford player looks like. So, yeah, to, to, a, to a certain extent. Um, but more than anything, is we're, we're looking for potential. Um, and... I'm a believer. If you've got the right character, anyway, uh, and they're willing to work hard, then they're in, they're able to improve or, or change their game, anyway. Um, so it, it's difficult because if you watch a under 14s rugby league game and then watch a super league game, it, it probably looks different in, in many different ways. Um, and, and also, players have got different backgrounds. Some have received better coaching than others. Some have played the game longer than others. Some of them are physically more advantaged or disadvantaged. So it's really, yeah, it's pretty difficult if I'm honest, but we're a big believer in it. If you recruit the right people and characters um, and they're willing to work hard and, and they've got that growth mindset and, and self-awareness, com communication, leadership, and, and they're just good people, then... You can you can shape them from a rugby point of view anyway, but yeah, going back to your question is we do we do recruit with the type of of player um, that we that the first team want in mind. We we do that to a certain extent. 
And does that, um, did all clubs kind of do that? Will all the clubs do that? Or will some just have an academy vision and they just produce that type of player? Um, it's probably not for me to say, to be honest. Um, I think some clubs may be guilty of who are, who are the, the best players at this moment in time. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to gonna become, you know, first team or, or elite level players. But it's difficult because no one's got a crystal ball. And I just, I just think the challenge for people doing talent identification and recruitment is vast just because of we probably recruit, and this is not choice of clubs, and this is the, the governments of the game, is we recruit at the worst possible age group, you know, when when maturation, puberty started to kick in, um, and you, you look at a typical game, and you might have lads who are six foot two with a beard, and then, you know, there's a lad who, who clearly is a lot younger or is, is behind in terms of maturation, so... And that, that's not just the physically, but emotionally, mentally, all those kind of things. I think it's really, really difficult. Um, but just, again, I'll say, if you can get to know the player and, and sorry, underneath the player, what, what the person's like, what their background's like, their upbringing, um, have, they, have they got a right attitude, are they a good person? And you've probably got a chance anyway. Um, but it, it's very difficult um, selecting players in, in our game and, and in all sports, I imagine, um, at these age groups. Uh, I, we'll, link, we'll link to this because I think it's important. Obviously, you mentioned here a lot about the, the physical characteristics. Now, naturally, the nature of the game, there is, you know, physical loading on the players. It's high intensity, high impact. Um, so if we look at it from the younger age groups going through, I guess, to the removal of that reserve team league for, for this year, how much of a challenge is that to have like your late maturers that obviously you're hoping will come through and progress and grow eventually to be able to compete? And how big a jump do you think that's going to be from under 19s rugby to then have to try and compete against some of the best athletes, not just in England, but from the out outside? It looks like we're having more of an export from New Zealand, Australia, etc. come across who... Some of those guys are huge, having seen them. So how, how big a jump do you think that's going to be for, for the players? It's vast. Um, it's a really difficult um, step and, and journey for a young player to take. So to, to play under 19 rugby around players of your own age group or maybe slightly younger, to, to go and play against um, players who have been playing for 10 years, um, access full-time training. Um, the, the jump is just, it's, it's ridiculous, really. It's one what shouldn't happen without reserves. And for, for whatever reason, I think it was financial. Um, probably six, seven years ago, reserves rugby was scrapped. Um, and I, I just find that amazing. We, we talk about we are a late specialisation sport and then we take away the last bridge from academy to, to first team rugby away and, and so many players need time um, and, and it won't be till 21, 22 where, where they're breaking. And I think Jamie Peacock is a great example of that. So he, he was the England and Great Britain captain for a number of years and um, 
he talks about his journey being that rocky road, a bumpy journey. We're never selected at young age groups. He um, and he always got missed out and, and overlooked, and, and he just kept, he kept persevering. Um, and eventually, he found he found his way bursting, not bursting, but found a way and played first team rugby at 21, 22, got an opportunity and and became one of the best players our game's ever produced and an England captain, as I say, for a long period of time. But if we, back in those days, there was a reserve system, but if, if he was in the current programme, he's probably not going to come through because um, he wasn't ready at 18, 19 years of age. So... Um, it's something we we absolutely need to look to as a sport. Um, I said earlier, the, the system's flawed without reserves. These examples of lads who, who burst onto the scene and, and they're able to maintain that, but um, they're probably the exceptions. And, and there's a danger as well of, of them being overexposed, depending on what playing position they, they play. The, the physical nature of the game um, means at 17, 18, 19 years of age, if you're playing first team, um, in certain positions, you know, you, you're going to take a lot of physical hammer and your body's probably not ready for that. And then the other aspect is is mentally, are you ready for that? The vigours of Super League would be week in, week out. Um, and if, for example, if reserves is in there, then you can be pulled out and you can be placed back into a, a first t a reserve system um, and play at a level what, what's challenging enough. So it may be a player that's pulled out of, first team and goes back into the academy under 19 playing against his own, his own age but that challenge is, is probably not great enough to, to keep him in developing so it, it's yeah the, the, there's reasons for it around finances and the implications of, of what's happened this year with COVID and why it's not going to happen next year but I, I think as a sport we have to get that back in place in 2022. Is there any ideas in the interim how you're going to support those players? Is there going to be an extension to the like youth programme or is there going to be placement elsewhere? What, what will that look like? Yeah, so, so on the 19s, um, the academy competition will be on the 19s next year as opposed to under 18s. So to give that final year back to the lads who, who have missed it this year um, and they've got no reserves to, to go back to. But other than that, if you've got, for example, players on your books in your first team squad who are not going to be playing first team rugby week in, week out, then it's it's probably being loaned out and, and playing in the championship or league one and, and getting getting exposure to, to that level of competition, which, which is okay. But in an ideal world, personally, I, I think you'd, you'd keep the player at your own club, playing in your own systems and being coached by your coaches in, in that reserve competition. But yeah, that, that'll probably be the case in many instances. Lads will go out and play um, on loan. Obviously, you mentioned there kind of the physical nature of it and how physically tasking um, it is. Just to give people a perspective, if you're looking at a top-end um, player, how many contacts are they going into per game? What's that looking like? What distances are they covering, etc.? Yeah, number of... It's... It's unbelievable in some instances. So in in certain positions, you'll get a player averaging between 50 and 60 tackles a game. Um, and that's without even carrying the ball. So um, that's not that's not typical of every single position, but players who are playing, for example, at loose forward hooker, they will typically make them, them a number of tackles, um, probably six, seven K. 
Um, and then just a lot, a lot of back-to-back -back effort. So the physical demands in, in those positions in the middle are, are really, really taxing. And there's been a rule, a slight change to rules and interpretations this year. So the, the game's introduced a six-again rule. Um, so when these um, infringements or too much wrestle, for example, on the floor to, from the defensive team to slow the play of the ball down, um, rather than the game stopping and a penalty being awarded, um, the six again rules come into play where the tackle count will start again. Um, so it may be a, a team have, have just um, come up with five defensive efforts, um, which is pretty taxing when, when you're talking about players at around 100k um, managing them again and again. And then the tackle start re re restart. So th that that's meaning there's a lot more back to back efforts um, and a lot more fatigue in the game. But um, the reason being, it, it opens the game up. It allows players to play on the front foot, um, and I suppose play with a little, little bit, a little bit more freedom, um, based on the space, what, what, what's kind of there, and the fatigue of, of big players. So um, the game's probably going to change a little bit in that um, those players that play in the middle are typically um, the guys that'll take you forward, and their their game's based on. Um, size and strength and, and being combative, they're probably going to have to be a little bit more um, endurance-based as well in order to, to meet the, the new demands of, of the rule. And how is that challenging for you in a youth environment? Because I imagine you could have players that are uh, maybe physically very capable in an under-18 or a 19 game. Um, and then, you know, they could be those high high tackle counts, high ball carriers, high collision type players, then all of a sudden you go into Super League and you're playing against these internationals. And whereas before you might have been gaining four or five yards, all of a sudden now you hit the line and they're just going, no thanks, down you go. How, do, how does that affect those players? Um, and how, how do you try to prepare them for that journey? I guess the only way you can prepare them for it is, is to make training... Um, making sure it replicates the demands of the game, and, and at times taking taking players above those demands as well. Um, so, so making making training pretty tough, um, but at the same time managing it right. So there's enough recovery, um, there's enough um, the fresh enough to be exposed to other demands, for example, in the gym or, or skill demands, etc. So. Um, yeah, just through just through making training as tough and as game-like as possible um, and getting that balance right. And that's going to be a real challenge now when we, we start training again um, in December, considering the lads have, have not 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 been at the club since March, they've not had any physical contact. So they've been doing lots of running and, and the weights programmes and things like that, but they've not been exposed to to the physical nature of the game for a long, long time. So that's something we'll need to gradually build up. Um, and the, the bodies are probably going to be in for a shock again, um, which will be interesting. But they, they tend to be pretty pretty tough um, types anyway, and, and they'll, they'll want to do that. But we'll have a, we'll have a challenge just to manage it and, and gradually build it up. Is there a jump from statistics from the 18s age group into first team in terms of number of collisions and distances and all that type of stuff? Or is it relatively similar, just obviously different with the... Sorry. Just different in terms of the level of the game and the type of impact that you're going to be going through? 
just everything's more demanding. Um, I think typically if you watch a under-19s academy game compared to a Super League game, there's probably more errors and you've not got that consistency of, of players being able to go back-to-back and uh, maintain an intense level for a, a prolonged period. So, yeah, just everything will be just greater. Um, the more collisions, um, more metres covered, higher pace, etc. It's just probably considerable. I, I don't have any kind of data or anything like that to, to to bring up right now. But yeah, just everything is so much more more demanding. One thing I, I wanted to ask you, because I think that yours is a sport where you see a lot of risk and reward. Um, so uh, you mentioned there you've got a tackle count um, and depending on where people are on the pitch during a tackle count, it kind of makes a decision on whether you kick to kind of gain territory and try and chase down the kick and make a tackle or whether you're trying to, you know, make a line break to then go and score a try or, or gain yardage that way. Um, and one of the things you see a lot is obviously offloading or creative passing and all that type of stuff, which is really good. How would you go about, I guess, one, teaching players those skills, but two, trying to teach them the decision-making process of what's a sensible-ish risk to yeah. maybe that was a silly with very little reward? Yeah, um, I guess it, it starts with having a, a clear clear philosophy of, of what what your players are able to do so if you want to if you talk about low risk and playing conservative conservative and getting to a, a kick and completing your set and doing that again and again and again and if, if that's your ethos and that's the way you play and practice and, and players go outside that then um that that doesn't really fit but at our club um our players are encouraged to play with skill and, and to make decisions and, and back themselves. And, and so we've got to be mindful or our coaches have got to be mindful if if they're encouraging them to do that. At times, it's not going to come off. So we can't start shouting at people or, or bringing players off the field because they've done that because we're asking them to do that. And I guess, the, again, it goes back to practice. The only way they're going to understand that balance and, and, and get a feel for for what's right and what's wrong it's through practice and, and making sure um your practice replicates the game and the demands of the game so we play lots of small sided games lots of decision making um lots, lots of touches on the ball and yeah f finding ways to, to create games to promote certain skills and pr promote certain decisions um but yeah at our club we, we do play with with an element of skill and, and an expansive kind of style so um, as much as you want that to be perfect and, and not see errors, but being mindful that it's going to go wrong from time to time, but um, supporting the players. So, you know, if that does happen, well, how do you deal with it? How do we transition? Um, are you going to beat yourself up? Or are, you, are you just going to accept that's that's part of the game and, and, and go on with it? So I just, I think it all comes down to practice um, and practicing a line to a, a clear philosophy. And then you're, the coaches' coaching behaviours match that philosophy. So, you know, it wouldn't be right to encourage play with risk, play with a, a bit of freedom within a structure and then be yacking people off the field if, if they have made an error. Is there a particular practice that you like or that you would use in that circumstance? We're, we're really big as a department on, on just lots and lots of games. So we, we try not to make practice isolated or or 
we, we try to promote a, a bit of chaos um, and a bit of, uh, yeah, just, just I, the term nowadays is, is messy practice, isn't it? And um, there's, there's no point going out and, and you know, in, in our game, and it still happens and there's a place for it, where the last session before a game, teams will typically um, play unopposed. So they'll, they'll run their plays and their, their structures against fresh air. And it's it's absolutely flawed when you there's a place for it, but you know the, the game is messy, it's chaotic. You, you've got defenders, you, you've got things that are out of your control. Um, so why would you practice in a way what doesn't replicate the game? So yeah, lot, lots and lots of small sided games and, and messy and chaotic practices are kind of ethoses that we we try to promote, and we talk about doing the same thing but in lots of different ways so it might be that you're trying to promote a, a certain skill or a, a certain ethos but there's lots and lots of different games you can do and, and constrain games in different ways to promote that and keeping players engaged keeping them stimulated as opposed to doing the same thing over and over again and sometimes that might be just a, a slight change of a rule or a pitch space um and yeah again making making practice fit to the demands of, of the game on a on a Saturday afternoon. And is do you provide um, psychological support for players? Because I can imagine that, particularly if you know you're in a halfback role, where you're getting a lot of the ball, a lot of decisions to make, um, and you know you're going to make some mistakes along with some positive stuff. How do you support the players to kind of understand that those mistakes are going to happen because of the brand of rugby that we're asking you to play? But you know it's almost got to be a switch where you, it's amnesia, you forget about it and we're on to the next one. How do you support them in that process? We support players from a, a psychological point of view in that we've got, for example, in our academy environment, we've got three uh, mental skills coaches who work with players on an individual basis. And we do a lot of education. Um, and then w what we've done this period during the summer and while we've not, not been at the club, we've put together a... Um, a footprint of, of what we want a player to look like from a psychological characteristics point of view. Um, but it's not a case of the, the sites working in isolation with the players. So um, the guy who leads on our sports psychology provision, he's very much a part of a coaching team. So when we when we meet to, to plan sessions, review sessions, discuss what's happening, he, he's in the, the thick of that and he, he's... His, his opinions and, and perspectives, although they're different, they're as, as valued as the coaches. Um, and we try not to, again, I said they don't work in isolation, so they'll influence the way we coach in some ways. So we might have a, a certain emphasis around a, so there's an education session around, let's say, goal setting or distraction control we'll make sure that in that the next session or the week or the month ahead, um, the coaches facilitate opportunities um, to put them, them skills into practice. Um, so, yeah, we're not there yet, but I think we're getting to a stage where our sports psych and our coaches work hand in hand um, rather than standalone, which is traditionally what happens, I suppose. And do they are they able to come up pitch side and and observe the lads kind of during sessions or during games? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, they'll be pitch side. Um, they might feed something back into a coach regarding an individual or or a, a something generally. Um, so yeah, they're, they're just they are part of the coaching team. They're not they're not separate. Um, some players buy into it more than others. Um, I think we're developing our understanding around it a lot more. And and that same the same with the strength conditioning side of things. It's it's not a case of the SNC will will do twenty minutes and then they'll go to the rugby coaches. It's well, that, we don't get much time with these players. How can we um, double our bubble, I suppose? And and they get we're, we're covering all aspects. So we're covering site, we're covering technical, tactical, um, and the physical demands all at once. And um, I think the terms we're we're developing our knowledge. It's a tactical periodization. So. How do we want our players to perform in all those areas? And how can we um, design our practices so we're doing everything all at once as they would in a game situation? You know, you, your physical demands and, and your, your decision-making or your tactical stuff are not all done in isolation on a in a game. So why would you do it separately um, in practice? And has that taken you time to get to the point where you have that collaborative effort? Because I know from... You can watch documentaries, you can talk from personal experiences. Sometimes it can seem stagnant where everyone's all over the place. And you have sites that are in their office, strength conditioning coaches are in the gym, video. Yeah. Has it taken you a while to get to the stage where everyone works collaboratively and is able to kind of support the player out pitch side, all have an input which is invaluable to the team and the individual? Yeah, it's definitely taken time, and I don't. I'm not saying we are we are perfect or we're there yet, um, but we're working towards that, and we're constantly improving. And you're probably talking years of. Um, I guess what's really important is continuity of, of people and, and staff, and an element of, of new people coming in with new ideas as well, um, and, and just having the time to to reflect, to talk honestly, to get to know each other and, and identify what's working well, um, what you can improve, but being really open to changing a new idea and, and, and looking other sports or, you know, other environments. And um, so, yeah, it's definitely taken time. And, and I'm not saying for a minute that we're there and, and we've, you know, we've reached utopia, but we've got, we've, I think if you went back a few years, we're, we're a lot more aligned and closer together than we have been um, previously. And I guess that links back to what you mentioned earlier about having the right people in the building, so getting the right coaches in place to know that this is an addition, not taken away from their pitch time, or getting the right psych in place who wants to be out there on the pitch and realises they're a part of the process, not the process um, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I think when we, we first introduced that, it was something new and, and people had not really seen in, in, in rugby league too much. Um, they've seen aspects of it and then probably a little bit of intimid intimidation and uncertainty of what it's about. And then the realisation that as players, our coaches, when they were players, they were coached by, in some instances, coaches who were good sports psychologists. But, you know, they were never termed that. They were termed the rugby coach. But actually what, what they were doing and the way they, they worked, they were, they were doing the things the sports psychs are talking about without actually realising it. So 
Um, yeah, just bringing it all together. Um, and we often talk about, you know, it's okay having technically and tact tactically the most gifted player you've come across. But if, if he can't handle pressure, if he can't handle things going wrong, if he can't communicate, if he can't lead, then he's, gonna, he's not going to reach his potential anyway. So um, that psych side of things is, is as much, probably personally, I think it's more needed than the, than the technical and tactical side of it, uh, because you can develop those things with, with the right kind of mindset and the, um, the right characteristics. I think it's interesting. I think that at the moment there seems to be a big shift in people's um, thought process around this topic. And I think a lot of people are realizing actually you need to get the mentality side right, whatever that be. If you know, it might be that you allow others to a bit more of a leash in terms of the way you speak to them or the way they act. It might be you need this player like struggles with failure. So how are we going to support them with that? But it seems like at the moment there's a massive shift to actually go, this is a you know, equally important part of sessions, important part of players' development and stuff, which is good to see. Um, I guess linking back to uh, what we mentioned earlier, is you mentioned about trying to get self-awareness and leadership in, in your group. Um, I guess in, in a practical setting, how's that gone? And how, with the scenario games, all that type of stuff, how do you go about doing that, trying to get increased leaders in your group? Well, we've not all the new. We, we've got so many new ideas we, we've put together um, this last summer, and we've just not had the chance to do anything with it. So I, I guess we'll we'll find out a lot more um, when we start back. But naturally, when when coaches are, are coaching, their focus is on technical, tactical aspects, and it's easy to forget um, or or they're not comfortable or familiar with right. How do I apply? the stuff what the sports psych's talking about how do i apply that on the field so we produced a resource um to encourage that and, and yeah it's it's often more about coaches becoming the facilitator and taking a step back and creating a scenario for players to reflect for players to lead to communicate and to to self-organize so um yeah we, we've spent hours and hours putting that together and it would be great just to get on the field and, and a chance to put it into practice. And I guess it's not all going to be plain sailing. It, it's something new. And in some regards, it'll be something new for the players as well. So, um, but and it, it might be a bit bumpy and they might not be sure, but it's there for a reason. It's there to create better, more robust characters and, and leaders, etc. So um, it'd be interesting to see how, how it goes. How have they received it so far? And is there any surprises with the work that you've already done? Yeah. So the the promotion of questioning, creating scenarios and, and self-policing and working it out, I think has been, it's been a little shock but it's, at times, but it's been a, if you use the word journey, we've been on for a, a while and it's slowly come into our practice in our environment so it's not a, a total surprise but when we did the the zoom last sorry a month or two ago and it was purely um player led i think that were a little bit surprising a little bit different is you know it, you see some players thinking it shouldn't be like this and well what are the coaches doing and, and not quite understanding it um so yeah it's probably going to take a little bit of time but we've talked about 
Um, when, we, when we're in meetings, we, we want things to be player-led. And, and at times, staff, coaches will just take a step back. Um, and it's you own the environment. You challenge each other. You set your own standards. Um, so, yeah, it, I guess for them, it's a little bit different. Um, but their buying's really good. And what we're seeing is, is people emerging as, as leaders, as, as better communicators who, who wouldn't normally. They'd be happy just to take a, a step back and listen. And Yeah, I'll do as, as you tell me. But, um, yeah, the early signs are. And we've had some young lads who have trained with the first team after lockdown. And they're in the first year out of under-16s rugby. And, and the feedback we've got is they're doing well, doing great rugby-wise. But characters, they're good. They're fitting in, they're confident, they can they can mix socially, um, they can lead at times. Don't get me wrong, they're, they're not at the front. And that's probably a bit of a realisation we've had as a department is we, we can produce players, um, but we've got to get the character right. And especially if we talked about earlier, there's no reserves and an under-19 player goes and plays first team, then um, he's got to be not just a, a good all-round player, but he's got to be an all-round robust character to be able to handle that so yeah certainly a bit of a change and um i think it's i think it's the right way to go it, it feels right and, and we're getting a lot of staff buying and have you had any challenges with with players that haven't really bought into it yet or anyone that's a little bit like this this isn't for me don't enjoy public speaking for example or anything like that no they've all bought in and they're clearly in some instances not comfortable um, and it, it's that tough love of, of keep throwing them up there and, and putting them in them scenarios and, and seeing some real changes in, and then them realising as well, it's, yeah, I, I don't like doing this, but I'm a lot better now and if I keep doing this, I'm, I'm going to be much better at it and then um, that's going to that's gonna benefit their game on the field and they might not, you know, they might not see the link initially, but in, in time when they look back, um, I'd like to think some players will be unrecognisable because, and, and it, we've got to do it for certain positions. Um, you know, the, the halfback positions, they they manage a the team, they tend to control the game. So you, you're looking after everyone else. So your communication, your leadership needs to be really good and, and therefore so does your confidence. So some players and people have that naturally and, and some people that, that's a, that evolves in time and, and we've got to provide opportunities and, and scenarios where we can improve that player in that area or, or they're the given the opportunity to do that. And has it informed you guys, um, I guess, in a positive way for any other players? So ones that, as you said earlier, maybe are a little bit quiet and just go along with what other people are saying. Have you looked at them and gone, actually, they might be the ones that are ready to jump into that first team environment because they can although they're quiet, they actually do take on all the information we're asking um, and all that type of stuff. Has it informed any of your thinking regarding that? Yeah, in some instances, I think there's been some surprises um, and, and there's people emerging who you wouldn't normally expect. And, and in some, some, I think it's just reinforced and enhanced what, what they're already good at as well. So I said earlier, we're, we're all about the individual and, and what the individual needs um and, and trying to provide the right opportunities for certain players in, in certain scenarios so yeah but at the same time it, it's early days and, and we've we've not been at the club for eight nine months so um it'll be interesting to look at it 
in another six to nine months and, and when hopefully Touchwood we're playing again um, and we've, we've got more instances of lads getting an opportunity to train with the first team. Um, I guess time will tell, but the early signs are really, really promising. And, and again, it's reinforced that we're on the right path as, as a department and the way we're working with players. And I guess all this really leads to, as you alluded to there, that jump into the first team, um, into an environment where obviously you're trying to win. Kind yeah. of, although the rest of it to that point is development and stuff, and there will be an element of development um, for the players at that level. Ultimately, it comes down to, do you win the game at the weekend or whenever that is? Um, how do you prepare players for that last jump? Because I imagine it's a change of scenery, it's a change of physicality, it's a change of mentality. How can you best prepare them to make that jump to hopefully have success? Take, it takes time, doesn't it? It's um, them hopefully kicking on and, and playing at that level is a result of years and years of, of hard work and, and holistic development. But again, just just making practice, you know, as as demanding it as it possibly can and, and matching the demands of the game. So I talked earlier about the example of it's traditional. Traditionally in the game, teams will run an unopposed session before the game to, to you know, tweak the team plays and, and all that kind of thing. But is that going to be, does that help us tomorrow or does that help us the player long term? It's probably not going to help the, the player long term for sure. So making making the environment as tough and demanding as possible, um, just just really simple and, and supporting them holistically, SNC, on the field, the psych stuff, give, giving them everything they need. And I guess what, what's important for us at the minute is, and it's difficult because our players are typically part-time, they work or they're in education and they need to be exposed to first-team training, um, but the, the first-team boys are, are full-time. So that's difficult sometimes, but I think it's really important that they spend time in that environment, come out of it and, and go back in, um, as opposed to being called up having a week's training and playing till played rugby. So, yeah, it, it's, that, it's, a, it's a long process, I suppose, but exposure to, to first-team training and intensity and um, where appropriate first-team first pre-season games is really important. And one thing I'm seeing uh, more and more, kind of when you read up on the subject, is you're seeing a lot of players go to and from uh, the NRL into the Super League and vice versa, which... It seemed like a few years ago that didn't happen so much, and particularly with our players going out there. Um, yeah. Is that something that's the case? And how do you feel that's benefiting um, the game, both in this country in terms of the teams, but then also, I guess, you know, on a national level, how's that affecting us and the progress of players and the standard of the game in general? It's probably not helping our, our domestic competition because the, the better players are, are leaving. Um, it's not yet to benefit us on the international stage either. Um, hopefully that that will change in time. But without doubt, the, the NRL is it's a level above what Super League is. I, I think that's fair to say, and I think the majority of people would agree with that. So, um, yeah, in, in in essence, you'd like to think that in turn benefit the national team sooner or later because there's, there's more players being exposed to playing at that level of competition and. And that's week in, week out, as opposed to 
I think if you could say our top four, maybe five teams could compete at that NRL level, um, but then the, the other half of, of our competition would, would probably struggle and, and you don't get that consistent challenge on a week-to-week basis. So, yeah, it's definitely not helping our our competition, um, but hopefully in time it will benefit the, the national team. Do you think it... Long term, do you think it will allow more players to get into the pathway? Whereas you may have had you know, those superstar players staying at clubs for a long period of time because they're now leaving. Do you think that eventually you'll get to a stage where you're able to push more and more boys through because of that? Yeah, in, in some ways. But I, I don't think that's our, our biggest challenge in terms of young players being given an opportunity. I, I think the biggest challenge is... Is players coming from the other way. So players coming from Australia, from New Zealand, um, and not always, not always better. Um, I think it, it's probably it's something the game's done traditionally um, for for a long period of time. And, and I'm all for the very best coming over and, and adding to the competition, adding to teams, and adding to environments. But um, I think in some instances some of these players are blocking pathways. Um, and I, I'd like to think the Super League or, or RFL do more to, to provide more rules and, and therefore opportunities for young players. So, um, yeah, absolutely all for the, the higher standard of player coming over and, and, and adding to our game. But um, probably like to see more opportunities for young players um, and less less overseas players, and that might be something what happens because the game's been hit by financially by what's happened this year, um, and it, it's certainly cheaper for any club to to produce a player who's come for, for their system um, as opposed to bringing a player from from overseas. So maybe it's something we'll see. We've definitely seen more young players being given an opportunity because of the the turnaround fixtures this year. It, it, there's been instances where I think some teams have played four four games in in, in two weeks, which that takes a lot of recovering from. Um, and it, it's meant, you know, more young fellas have, have been given an opportunity. And I think across the game, they've all done really well and there's been a great um, credit and reflection on and the academy systems at all, all clubs in Super League. So hopefully that might... It might help people realise that the talent's there, that they just need this opportunity. Um, and sometimes that opportunity is not always there. And is there a common thread between those players that go on to the NRL or go on to the kind of very top of the game? Is there any common threads that you've seen from players in this country that have been able to go on and succeed at the highest level? It's difficult that without actually knowing, you know, uh, I, I gave the example earlier of of a player we we've lost last week who's gone to the NRL at 17, 18 years of age. And for, for him, it, it's the character, it's the hard work, it's the dedication, it's the focus um, on top of, or sorry, underpinning some natural ability as well. Um, um, but yeah, I, I probably, it's probably not for me to say. Um, I, I don't know enough about those other players that, have come from other clubs and what have you. So, yeah, it's hard, hard one to comment about. So, I guess last question for me, um, alluding to what we said there, um, and you can go player or coach 
uh, up to you with here, which is who's the best player or coach that you've worked with or against and why? Oh, you've caught me off guard with that one. Um, yeah, there is, there is someone, uh, a, we, a player we've got in our environment, I won't name him because he is so young, um, so I don't think it'd be fair because it probably put a lot of pressure on him at a young age, but um, we've got a player who, who is in our academy environment and he's probably the most impressive player I've come across um, because what tells you everything you need to know is he, he has the respect of his players and, and players who are, are older than him and he's happy to challenge players around improving the environment, around their standards, around how hard they're working. Um, he's liked and, and loved by every single member of staff who, who recognise just his, his characteristics, how how willing he, he's, he's, he is to work. Um, probably physically not not as advantaged as other players, but makes the absolute best of, of what he, he, he's got. Um, very self-aware, very driven, as I say, um, and, and just probably just ticks all the boxes uh, in terms of, of what a young player and the, the type of player we want our environment to produce. And I don't think as a, as a department or an environment we're taking an awful lot of credit for that. It's probably just who he is that's in him and, and we've announced it to a certain uh, level but yeah very very driven very hard working very focused um, and, and just some players just sometimes understand what it takes and then some players you know and that, that's from the moment he's walked through the door and then for some players it's a real process of education and, and being in the environment for a long time and getting it wrong and and, and having to point out what, what, you know, what good and what professional looks like. So probably not answered that very well, but um, caught me off guard. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. Well, Darren, listen, I really appreciate your time. Um, and I think everyone will be saying enjoy getting back on the pitch because that's the bit that we all enjoy and love doing. So I'm sure you and the staff and all the players will be uh, buzzing to get back there as soon as you can. Yeah, definitely, mate. And, and you too. F fingers crossed we get a good run at it as well. Yeah, all things being well. Well, stay safe and hopefully I can catch up with you again soon. Brilliant. Okay, thank you, mate. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.